Hello, welcome to You Know That's Right, a creative writing club in podcast form. I'm Elise. And I'm Madeline. And today we're going to be talking about famous female authors in history in honor of March, which is Women's History Month. We've got seven authors. We have Jane Austen, Mary Shelley, the Bronte sisters, which is actually three, Louisa May Alcott, yeah, Beatrix Potter, Laura Ingalls Wilder, and Agatha Christie. We're going to go through these in chronological order of the women lifetime. Some of them, like Laura Ingalls Wilder and they Agatha overlap. Christie, yeah, they overlap, but we're going chronologically in terms of their life. And we're not going to really get into their whole life story. We're more just focusing on their writing experience, and we're not going to go into a whole lot of detail since we're covering so many. But there are other podcasts out there and other resources if you would like to learn more about any of these women. Um, The History Chicks, in fact, I think have covered almost all of these women. Actually, I think maybe they have covered all of them in their podcast. So if you want a full, like, in-depth version of their life stories go check that podcast out it's really great or you know go to your local library and find some books (laughs) all right some books so we want to start with jane Jane austen Austen. yes we love her yes we do love her (laughs) jane austen is known for six novels we have sense and sensibility pride and prejudice mansfield park emma persuasion Northanger Abbey, and those last two were published together after her death. Yes. And Northanger Abbey actually went through some different names, different drafts. So it was also known as Susan at one point, and it was a little different then. It's one of the ones she had been working on the longest, actually, but it was one of the last to be published. Here's my fun fact. I was doing some research. I was, like, trying to look for weirdly specific things, like niche. Weird, yeah. Her books were pirated in France. Oh, yeah, I think I heard Which about is that. sad, I guess. Yeah, that's sad. <laughs> but it's kind of interesting and cool. And actually, it was probably a lot easier for them to pirate her books because she, along with a lot of these women that we're going to be covering, had to publish her books anonymously mm-hmm. because nobody was going to read a book written by a woman at this time. Mm-hmm. So she just did it anonymously, and after her death, I believe... Her family came forward and was like, actually, it was written by Jane Austen. And she did this so much, like, she kept this secret so well that she would be writing. And if she heard anyone coming that wasn't her immediate family, she would have to, like, hide her writing. Yeah. Like, servants, she would have to hide it from the servants and anyone else that wasn't her immediate family. Yeah, I also think it's really neat. She started writing poetry when she was just 11. Yes. So she grew up in a like pretty educated family, had a lot of sisters, and they read aloud to each other. So she started, I guess she was inspired, and she started writing poetry at 11, which is pretty cool. Right. Her earliest recorded record of writing are these notebooks, and inside them are her poetry, some short novels, Mansfield Park and Lady Susan, which would later become Northanger Abbey. And those plays that she wrote, she would put on plays and her and her siblings would perform these plays for the family. And actually, this is really cool, I think. One of those plays that she wrote as a child 
becomes the play that all of the people are trying to put on in Mansfield Park. There's the part where they're putting on a home play and they are actually using a play that Jane Austen wrote herself. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So she's got a lot of trends in her writing, I think we can say. There's Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice. Those were actually originally titled in their first publishing, Eleanor and Marianne and First Impressions. Right. So I'm not sure why she changed them, changed the titles there, but it's become pretty iconic trademark. And she actually had a nine-year break. I thought this was kind of funny for some reason. They went to Bath, her family, which is a place that if you've read a lot of Jane Austen, you'll recognize as somewhere that people like to go on holiday and like meet potential suitors at Bath. So they actually went to Bath, and they stayed there for nine years, and during that period, Jane Austen didn't write at all. And then her father died at the end of that nine years, and after that, she picked it up again. Nine years, that's crazy. Yeah, I could never. <laughs> but she was a very busy, busy lady. She yeah. had a lot of other stuff going on besides just writing. Right. And nobody knew she was a writer. Yeah. Outside of her family. And then here's just one interesting other tidbit about her life in relation to writing. She actually never married. We think of a lot of her books as, almost all of her books, I think, end up with the protagonist getting married. Mm -hmm. And while some of these, like, proposals and endeavors kind of mirror the kind of proposals Jane Austen received in her life, she never married. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. All right. So I guess we're ready to move to Mary Shelley. I love her. Yes. (laughs) Mary Shelley actually had quite a legacy to live up to. Her yes, mother, her mother. Mary Wollstonecraft, who is sort of known as like the first feminist yeah. author. Yeah. So she married Percy Shelley at a very young age. I think she was like 17. And he was like, yeah, she was six. I think she was 16. He was 21. Oh, wow. Okay. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but that was very commonplace at the time. Yes. So do you want to tell us about how her iconic novel Frankenstein was? Yes. So we have the Romantics. Obviously, she's in this group of, she's in the Romantic movement. Um, along with a ton of friends, you know, like she, her husband Shelley, Byron, who's an actual rat. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Mary Shelley didn't like Lord Byron at all. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't blame her. A group of romantics spent a summer together. It was like a retreat. Yes, it was very rainy summer, so they were stuck inside yeah. all day. And she just wrote Frankenstein. Yeah, it was actually part of a contest. Yes. Um, I think yeah. Lord Byron proposed it. He was like, okay, everybody. Let's have a contest where you write your best scary story. Yeah. And I think this was actually like a source of great stress for Shelley because it took her a while to come up with it. Yeah. And I didn't know this part until I was researching for today, but she said that the idea for Frankenstein actually came to her in a sort of waking dream. It almost sounds like sleep paralysis where she said she was just like awake and like the form of the creature was in front of her i guess and it just all began to unfold 
And I feel like that's yeah. somewhat of a romantic trope, that kind of dreaminess, because like you have Kublai Khan too. Kublai Khan, yeah. So she started writing when she was 18, finished it in a year, so she was 19, and it was published when she was 20 years old. And her husband, Percy Shelley, actually helped out a lot with this. And again, like Jane Austen, she, po- she published this at first anonymously mm-hmm. with a preface by Percy Shelley to kind of give it some street cred, I guess. Street cred. <laughs> you know? And a lot of people assume that he wrote it, but no. No. <laughs> yeah, I really love Mary Shelley's story. It's, yeah. it's really incredible. Yeah, is really, really cool. And also, like, a lot of people say she invented sci-fi. She did. Her, so. her story is actually the first... Yeah. So they kind of tried story, yeah, which is so cool. Yeah, a lot. I mean, it's interesting because Frankenstein's monster has become such like an icon in our culture, and a lot of the other like iconic Halloweeny icons, like werewolves, vampires, come from legends. They come from a lot of generational legends and stuff. But Frankenstein came from the mind of Mary Shelley. Yeah, one story is all it took. Alright, are we ready to move on to the Bronte sisters? Yes. Okay, these girls, I think, are my personal favorite out of all the ones we're covering Mm -hmm. today. There was Charlotte Bronte, who wrote Jane Eyre, Emily Bronte, who wrote Wuthering Heights, and then Anne Bronte, who wrote two stories that are actually less Mm -hmm. well-known. She wrote Agnes Grey and The Tenet of Wildfell Hall. Yes. I've actually only read Charlotte Bronte. Yeah, I've only read Jane Eyre. I've so. actually I've read Wuthering Heights, and I've not finished reading Jane Eyre. Gotcha. So we're kind of on opposite pages there. Right, yeah. right. They were pretty cool. They're sister goals. They would like create imaginary worlds together. They're all really creative from a young age. Yes, when they were little, they would just create whole worlds like you yeah. said and they would write them down in like little tiny books and they would have like their own stories that like a couple of them would work on together mm-hmm. they also had a brother but he's a he, mess yeah he was a mess so we're not gonna talk about him much but um he and charlotte actually had like their own little story world thing that they eventually wanted to work on but he was just not it was a mess yeah. <laughs> charlotte was actually kind of the person who got things moving with all this she found some of emily's poetry one day in yes. her diary mm-hmm. like i can imagine how that went down you know i'm sure there's some like drama. you were looking through my diary and yeah but she got emily's poems published they're actually i uh, was looking into it and apparently like at first i don't know i don't know when this switched but their first like uh, i think it was mostly emily's poems and then like two of charlotte's poems maybe Mm-hmm. Um, got published and sold two copies at first. Right. So I think it was popularized a lot later right. when their books were published. And then this is kind of sad. So Charlotte, they each had their own book that they were working on. Mm-hmm. So Charlotte was writing one called The Professor. Emily was writing Wuthering Heights. And Anne was writing Agnes Grey. I think that was the one she was writing for this part. And Charlotte sent all three stories off to be published together or separately because that's a lot how that's how a lot of these kinds of things went during this time you would get a volume with three novels in it and the publishers took Wuthering Heights and Agnes Grey and they did not take The Professor 
Yes. And she was the one who started it all, so she was kind of bummed out. And they also published all of their works at first under uh, male pseudonyms. Yes. So there were Ellis, Acton, and Currer Bell. So Charlotte was Currer, Emily was Ellis, and Anne was Acton. Apparently also, uh, along the kind of sad same lines, Emily had to pay to have Wuthering Heights published. Like, she didn't make any gains off of it. Yeah, at first. Yes. But then, Charlotte just went into kind of like a fugue state and wrote Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. And that was an immediate hit. She sent it off to a different publisher, and it was like an immediate hit with the publishers. Yeah. And he did so much better for Charlotte than the other publisher did for the other girls' books. And eventually they switched all of them over to this other publisher. But I think they also had some sort of pirating thing, or someone claimed to be writing under the pseudonym oh. of Kerr, Acton, and Ellis. Um, and so the Charlotte's publisher like freaked out and was like, hey, I thought we had a deal. Mm-hmm. And so then that's when they kind of had to reveal themselves as women right. to their publisher. And uh, they didn't want to reveal themselves as women to like the public just yet. Because these stories were kind of um, viewed in some ways as like, a, oh, don't let your kids read it. It's um, <laughs> you scandalous. Know, scandalous. But today we don't see anything wrong with them. But in that day and age, to have like a woman writing mm-hmm. those books would have been a bit scandalous. But yeah. in the end, when it was revealed, I think it all went pretty okay. Pretty good for them, yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of other random things. All right. Um, so apparently, uh, Shirley was mainly a boy's name, but Charlotte popularized it as a girl's name in, in one of her books. I don't remember. Ooh. I think she has a book named Shirley, maybe. That's interesting. But I thought that was just a cool, fun fact. Also, about Charlotte, she allegedly owned a piece of Napoleon's coffin. Again, it's one of the things that, like, who knows if it was actually a piece of Napoleon's coffin. They were actually very obsessed with Mm -hmm. the battles between Napoleon and uh, Britain. And they actually incorporated a lot of that into the stories they would make as children. So that would not surprise me. Yes. (laughs) So I think she bought it off someone. Who knows if it's actually, but it's cool. And also, interesting, apparently she... um, for a while, like, hid her writing from her father. Yes. And I'm, I'm not sure if the other girls did. I don't think so. She, yeah. But then her father, she once it was done once it and was done, she yeah. had a published copy in her hand, she brought it to her dad, and he was like, oh, wow, you know. <laughs> she wanted to be done with it first, I guess. Yes. Yeah. And I, we as writers can understand yeah. that. <laughs> so... Uh, Emily and Anne both died before Charlotte, and um, that was really hard for her, but mm-hmm. she had to take care of, like, their memory and their, um, their legacy legacy as writers mm-hmm. and after that. So that's what she did, and she ended up getting married. They have quite the legacy, all three of them. Yes. Louise okay, May Alcott. So she was in the Transcendentalist squad, I believe, that yes. had the, uh, the farm experiment Oh um, yeah, that was I forget what it, what it, was, it was very called. toxic. Um, yeah, it was a experiment, a utopian experiment. Yeah, her um, dad was just obsessed with it. He wouldn't yeah. it was very weird and yeah. So they were part it was like a it, the Concord group of transcendentalists was like we want to create a utopian like farmland where we all work together and like 
But it wasn't Transcendentalists quite like Thoreau. Yeah, it was uh, different. It was different. It was a little bit more radical. Yeah. I guess you would say. Yeah. Um, Here's something that I really find interesting about her. She was a nurse in the Civil War. And I've actually read these. She uh, wrote a collection called Hospital Sketches. Yeah, those were actually her letters. Yeah, Yeah. based off her experience, which... They're really, they're really neat. I enjoyed reading them, actually. They're, they're really, some of them are really sad. Like, some parts of it are really sad. But right. I thought it was really interesting to read. So, yeah. she also, I think it's something that she does, isn't known for as much. Yeah. But it's cool. She also wrote, like, a ton of thrillers. Besides her most well-known book, Little Women, and Little Men, Joe's Boys, and Eight Cousins. I have never read. She thought Little Women yeah. would be a flop. Yeah, but it was it's actually her most popular. Yeah. But it's funny how this before works. that and kind of after that, she wrote thirty-three thriller books. Thirty-three. <laughs> That's so many. I yeah. can't imagine. But it reminds me a bit of Joe March in Little Women and yeah. how Joe was always writing these like adventure thriller stories. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my favorite parts of yeah. Little Women. And she also based Joe off herself, so I guess that's yeah. where. Her family was interesting. Right. They had, yeah, they had a lot of interesting ideals. But um, something cool about her family was that they, at the time, when it wasn't as, you know, they fiercely opposed slavery. Like, right, yeah, fiercely. she was an abolitionist. Yes, she, they were huge abolitionists. And I think they actually helped with the Underground Railroad. Oh, really? I think. I, I'd have to look that up again, but I feel like I've seen that somewhere. Okay. And also, along similar really cool lines, she was the first female voter to register in Concord, which is really cool. Talk about women's history. Yeah. That is so amazing. Yeah. Yeah, she was very, I feel like, very political, and it kind of shows through in her writing. Yeah. Also, I think it's just fun. She had, like, so many famous writer friends. Hawthorne, Nathaniel Hawthorne, if you know him, yeah. was literally her next-door neighbor, <laughs> which I think is so That's funny. So cool. um, and another, this last thing that I think is hilarious, she was pretty well-known, and apparently she had fans that would come by, and she would pretend to be her nurse Oh yeah, to get out of, like, meetings yeah. with them. That's so cool. All right, so moving on, next we have Beatrix Potter. Yes. So... I really love Beatrix Potter's story. She originally didn't set out to be a children's book writer. Her first pieces of writing were actually scientific. When she was a kid, her and her brother would, they would go out to the country for like holiday, you know, and they would just play outdoors all day and like find bugs and plants and creatures of all different kinds, like birds and, you know, all these different creatures, they would just find them and want to take care of them. They wouldn't be like those weird kids who, like, dissect everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe they dissected Used some insects. <laughs> maybe they would dissect some insects. Um, I don't know. But they were very, very scientific about it all. Mm-hmm. And they just loved all these creatures and, like, plants and stuff like that. And it's very nostalgic to me, learning about um, her young life. But, yes, her scientific writing, she was really into mushrooms. (laughs) And so she tried to publish some of her findings and research on mushrooms. And in some of these was like the first beginning discoveries about penicillin, Mm. which is really cool. But 
when she brought these to like the Society of Mushroom Scientists or whatever they were called, um, I feel there's a more the official name. Society names. of Mushroom Scientists. There's a more official name, but she brought them and they were like, "Oh, you're a woman. We can't possibly have your research." in our very serious manly work. And so that didn't go anywhere. Her findings have been published now. She's more well-known for her children's books. Yes, and her illustrations. Yes, they're gorgeous. Yes. Okay. Um, you can tell where her clear inspirations come from, because apparently her house was like crazy full of pets. Like, it was like a zoo in there. And she would literally like, capture wild mice and take them home and have them as yes. pets. What are the names? The two bad mice. That's one of her stories. Oh. Um, uh, Hunkamunka and Tom Thumb. <laughs> Those two mice were actually real mice That's that funny. she kept. And so I thought that was cool. So I couldn't find a lot about this. I only found a couple things that said this. So I'm wondering if it's actually true. But apparently her brother left for like a boarding school or something. Yes. And yes. left his bats with her. Yeah. And she couldn't really take care of them because apparently it's not easy to take care of that. So she let one go, uh-huh. but she put one to death with chloroform. Oh my. And stuffed it. <laughs> I mean. Which is cool, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, wow. Uh, yeah, I was like, whoa, is that true? But I guess surprised. she just found it cool and neat. Yeah. So. She was a very scientific person. Yes. And you'd never guess from yeah. her stories, because her stories are also, like, fanciful. fanciful. I love her stories. I That was my childhood. Mm-hmm. Beatrix Potter was the original cottagecore lady. Yes. Cottagecore aesthetic that we all know and love nowadays. Yes. But yes, Peter Rabbit was perhaps her most iconic and popular story, and that yes. was the first one she published, actually, as a little children's book. And it was just, it went wild. And she was, like, very good at business, too. She yeah. actually made and patented a Peter Rabbit plush. Yeah, I saw that, too. Like, she was good at, she she, she knew her fans wanted merch. <laughs> um, something else I thought was really cool was she sometimes wrote in code. Yeah. And it took them a long time to Shorthand. Yeah. She would write in shorthand. It took them a long time to figure it all out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is really cool. Also, along similar notes, I don't know how exactly this went down, but apparently one of her works wasn't discovered until uh, 2013 and was published in 2016. Wow. What it's uh, A Tale of Kitty and Boots. So, like, Puss in Boots? I guess. Wow. I know she was really inspired by works like that. I didn't know yeah. about that. So, apparently that was... I don't know if it was, like, lost or how they found it. Yeah. I'd like to do some more research in that, but apparently that's a thing. Cool. Also, um, something else Rand might have, just my last little point here, is that she was a, a she was a good sheep farmer. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's where she kind of ended up. Yeah. Eventually, as Which a is kind of cool. You can see, like... You've had a good life, like successful life, and you're like, I'm gonna go, and fo- I'm gonna go and be a sheep farmer now, and be serene. Like it seems it honestly, seems Beatrix Potter is plan. the life. I her life was so cool. Yeah, I mean, I think she was kind of like live with her parents for a long time because she couldn't. She didn't get married for a long time, and I think that was a little depressing for her. But other than that, like going to be a sheep farmer. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would want to be a sheep farmer. Well, maybe not. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. Okay. Yes. So now, are we ready to move on to Laura Ingalls Wilder? Yes. So this is like an iconic, iconic piece of American literature. Yes. She actually did not write, start writing until she was 65 yes. years old. So around ne- she published uh, Little House in the Big Woods in 1932. And she was actually prompted by her, by daughter, her daughter, Rose, yeah. to write. So they were both writers, like uh, accomplished writers. Uh-huh. Laura would write um, things for periodicals, magazines, stuff like that. And her daughter would write biography. But then her daughter kind of prompted her to tell her own story. Which is so cool. Yes. I love that. So yeah. we have Little House in the Big Woods. Which is one of my favorites. Uh, Farmer Boy, which is about her husband, which is just, it's such a sweet gesture, I think. Yeah. To include, like, I actually could get through Farmer Boy, Farmer Boy as a kid. Yeah. I literally was like, I was reading through, and I thought I had to read them chronologically. I feel like you could skip it. But I was reading through, and I loved all of them, and I got to Farmer's Boy, and I could not get through it. I was like, yeah, it's about a boy. I, I don't want to read it. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but. I just couldn't get past it. I was like, this is boring. Yeah. Boys are gross. (laughs) And then we had Little House on the Prairie and On the Banks of Plum Creek. And either Little House in the Big Woods or On the Banks of Plum Creek are my favorites Mm -hmm. in the series. Um, Then you have By the Shores of Silver Lake, The Long Winter, Little Town on the Prairie, and these happy golden years. I honestly want to go back and read them all. Yeah, me just too. Because they're so heartwarming, and I feel like sometimes you need things like that. And they're so nostalgic. Yes. I feel like that's a big quality of a lot of books written during this time period. They're very nostalgic. Yeah. Ooh. They're definitely going to be read to my kids if I ever had kids. Right. And Rose, her daughter, helped her edit. And that was known, but then later, after her death, people found some writing, The First Four Years, which is a story about her first four years of marriage Mm -hmm. to her husband. And the writing style is apparently so much different than any of the Little House books, and so people kind of speculate that Rose Rose might have completely rewritten her mother's stories before they were published. There's not really any conclusive evidence to say yes or no on that front. Also, just something random, uh, she was distantly related to um, FDR, which is... Franklin Delano Roosevelt? which I just think is interesting. Yeah, that is cool. Also, I just think it's interesting that it's a super popularized. It's like it's very, it's a very American work. It's about the yeah. frontier. It's very American, but people all over the world are so fascinated by it, and it's been published in like a lot of languages. Right, which is so cool. I think it's yeah, it's an iconic. Work. A lot of people of try series. to say that America doesn't really have a culture. Yeah, it definitely does. And it's like, yes, we're not as old as a lot of cultures, and yes, we have taken a lot of pieces from other cultures, but I feel like stuff like the Pioneers and like in Laura Ingalls Wilder, the books, that is like the pure American. We do have a lot of culture surrounding, like, even cowboys. Like, that era didn't last for long, but we have so much surrounding that. Rip Van Winkle and the Catskill Mountains. Yes. Like, there's so much legend surrounding the Catskill Mountains. a big part of American culture can be summed up with just land. (laughs) True. Um, Manifest destiny. Well, (laughs) not necessarily manifest destiny, but just the, like, 
the aesthetic of the mm-hmm. land and how the land looks. Yeah. You know? Because America has we've got the mountains we've got prairies we've got rivers and like all these different things that you don't find in any other country you know yeah our geography is a little bit unique yeah I think this series shows that like some of the key factors of American culture yes alright so moving on to our last female author Agatha Christie yes I love her yes Um, so her first work was published in 1920, which is before Laura Ingalls Wilder, but she was born after Laura Ingalls Wilder and died in the 70s yes. and started writing a lot earlier than uh, Wilder. She started writing in World War II, actually. Yes. Her mystery books, I feel like most mysteries either fall into Agatha Christie style or Sherlock Holmes style. <laughs> Yes, and what's something I think is interesting about her that I was looking at when I was researching is that a lot of um, writers, a lot of detective writers, uh, mystery writers, have one like iconic detective that they always use. But she had, uh, she had two. Right. She has Marple and Perrault. Yeah, I think Perrault was her first one. Yes. Though. Yeah, her first book that she published was The Mysterious Affair at Styles, which starred Perot as the detective. Yes. And she was a very imaginative child. She didn't have a formal education until her later teen years, actually. Yeah. But she was kind of like homeschooled, I guess you'd say. And she wrote a lot of poetry in her diary and things like that. A lot of these people oh. were very creative as a child. Yeah. Uh, about her first novel, by the way, apparently her sister dared her to write it. Wow. And that was just how it came about. Her sister was like, you should write a novel. And she nice. was like, yeah, I will. You know what? I will. <laughs> yeah. And then The Secret Adversary, which is my favorite of Agatha Christie's books, was actually based on an overheard conversation in a cafe. Is that the one we read for the class? Yes, that is okay. the one we read. She just heard a name, Jane Fish or something, and she changed it to Jane Finn. And that's how that's so The Secret Adversary was inspired. She was yeah. also a playwright, which I think is really cool. Yes, she wrote Mousetrap, which is still running. It's it the is the longest running play. In London, yes. yes. And, okay, now I feel like we have to mention this. Her disappearance. Yes. This mystery is, this is still a mystery. It's still a mystery. She disappeared, and they found her in a hotel hotel. under, like, a different name Uh and everything. And she claimed amnesia, but there could have been a stunt. It could have been a stunt, yeah. Nobody's really sure exactly why or what happened or anything like that. But it was just all anyone could talk about for the entire time she was missing. And it was just... Like, if it was a stunt, it worked as a stunt. Because yeah. people were like, whoa, the mystery writer went missing. Yeah, it like, was, yeah. She claimed amnesia, so, but who knows? Uh, who knows? And her last public appearance was actually at the opening night of her very own play, of her very own play version of her book, Murder on the Orient Express. Yes. I, I think it's so cool that she lived to be able to see 
these adaptations because she didn't actually write the Murder on the Orient Express as a play. Yeah. She this was an adaptation and I think it's so cool that she lived to see her book become just this yeah. like big she thing. She saw success, which is cool. Yeah. I have a couple of other random tidbits. Alright. Just she was familiar with poison and it was often yes. how it was often involved in being the mystery. She didn't uh, I read somewhere that she didn't really like the violent types of murders as much. Right. She didn't like to employ those. She liked you know, sneaky things like poison. And that, um, I feel like poison and stuff like that makes it harder to figure out it makes it more of a yeah, mystery it does, because it does. if you walk in and you find a body with like stab wounds you're like oh although the first super <laughs> episode i ever watched was like a body stuffed in a trunk but you know <laughs> also she loved to surf which i think is so iconic yeah she was a really cool lady and the last thing i have about her is you can stay in her old home really you can rent it I don't think I would feel comfortable doing it either. <laughs> I feel like she might have, I don't know if anyone has reported anything like this, but I feel like she might have left some sort of like mystery stuff. I feel like I'd walk yeah. in there and end up living in a mystery novel, which... Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't necessarily be fun. <laughs> but All right. yeah. So that about wraps it up for our very special episode covering female authors in history hopefully you learned something i definitely did in research so yeah. it's neat and hopefully you enjoyed this format um let us know if you did and maybe we'll do more special episodes yeah like this, this wasn't quite right uh, as related to writing process but hopefully we'll do things like this every once in a while yeah and with that we will talk to you guys later